to another episode of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. Super excited to invite a former colleague of mine, Rick Garlick, from Magid and Associates. That's a hard G, Magid, uh, for those that don't know. Uh, welcome to the show, Rick. Hey, it's great to be with you. It's nice to see you again. You're looking good. Likewise, likewise. Glad to uh, hear you having this successful podcast experience. <laughs> well, we'll see. It's uh, early days, but it's fun. So uh, a couple Rick. things about Rick. Let me, uh, let me sing your praises real quickly, if you don't mind. Um, no, no, please go ahead. <laughs> First of all, Rick is a highly sought after uh, consultant in the uh, travel and hospitality space. Rough time for that, but uh, nevertheless, if you're uh, looking for a way out, uh, some some clear space. Rick's a good person to talk to. Uh, he's been doing that for for a good long time uh, and really knows his stuff and really enjoyed working with him. He also knows a thing or two about Elvis, which we're going to talk about <laughs> today. And I have to I have to pull a prop because I am a very big Elvis. Ah, so you have the first album. <laughs> this one, my daughter, my fifteen year old daughter, and I would pull it out from time to time. And we swing dance in the living room. So uh, I now is, is is that an original copy? Um, let's see. I think so. Maybe not first pressing, but okay. <laughs> but it's old and beat up that much. I know. And, and quickly, what's your favorite song on the album? Oh uh, boy, which one is on here? Well, it's hard. To, it's hard to not uh, choose blue suede shoes, but yeah, I, I figured. <laughs> I'm a fan of the full catalog, so, uh, there you so go. I'm, I'm here for that. Excellent. Uh, well, super excited to have you, Rick. Uh, we're just going to ask you a few questions today. Of course, uh, you know, we'd love to get to the fun stuff, but before we do that, uh, tell us a little bit about your career, uh, your story, where you started, and, and how you got to where you're at. Sure. So you had referenced my uh, love of Elvis, that uh, up until about uh, my junior in high school, my goal was to be the next Elvis, but uh, I, I sort of woke up at some point and my, my father told me that he wasn't going to encourage that. So at that point, I, I thought, well, what other things would I like to do? And I always loved teaching. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, I had my first teaching experience. I taught my seventh grade colleagues uh, on comic books as literature. So uh, my, my teacher let me get up and I was a great comic fan and talked about the parallels between some of the superheroes and some of the mythological characters that we had studied about just weeks before. And that gave me a great love for teaching. So for a long time, I wanted to become a teacher, professor. And uh, whenever I, I hit sort of the buzzsaw of all the academic politics, I thought, well, I was fortunately trained in a PhD program that gave me a lot of marketable skills. I was trained in a very heavy quantitative research program that uh, was considered you know, in its discipline to be uh, one of the best in the country at Michigan State. And uh, so I took these skills and I found other ways to teach besides the traditional classroom. So I've always considered my students to be, or my clients to be my students, uh, not in the traditional sense, but always looking to see what can I teach people about their business that they didn't know uh, I had a colleague one time who I think said the most insightful thing. He said, Rick, let's face it, you probably don't even like research except that it gives you something interesting to talk about on the stage. <laughs> so I've always, I've always loved being on the stage and I've always loved giving people those interesting insights about their business that they didn't know. And 
particularly things that are helpful in, in terms of improving their business, particularly during stressful times like this. Sure, sure, great. Great. So, so you started out with an interest in Elvis, uh, and you you actually brought that to fruition to some extent. So, love to hear that story and maybe your your favorite experience along the way. Yeah. So, you know, people looking at me on this podcast will say, "Boy, this guy in his best day didn't look as good as Elvis <laughs> did in his worst day," which I accept. But uh, you know, I I always just loved Elvis, and I, I loved his music from the time I was seven years old. My father took me to see Viva Las Vegas in the movie theater and uh, like many young people, uh, you know, just blown away. And even though the Beatles were popular at the time and I like the Beatles, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Elvis was, was my guy. And so I wanted to learn how to sing like him and be like him, like, again, like many people. And I remember being on a Sunday drive with my, my parents in the back seat of my, my parents' car and, trying to get that sound down and my mother turning around laughing going well I wonder who you're trying to sound like so in high school you know I was in uh, I I did a lot of singing uh, performing with friends and play guitar play a little saxophone and uh, you know I never liked my voice because I just didn't think it sounded enough like Elvis so I kept working out in the meantime I was in a number of performing groups and particularly uh of that genre, you know, again, rock and roll being a, a wide spectrum of, of acts and interests, right? So uh, liking that 50s doo-wop and, uh, you know, the early days of rock and roll, my friends and I like to perform. And, uh, you know, I, I always did a lot of Elvis songs, but where I really got serious with it is when I was a sophomore in college, a uh, girl I had been dating was doing an internship for a recreation major at an elementary school. And her assignment was to create activities for the school to participate in. So, you know, I don't know if she was just strapped for ideas, but she called me and she said, hey, can you come over and do an Elvis show at our school? I said, well, I sing his songs. I, you know, I, I like his music. I don't know that I sound like him. Or I could really do an act. She goes, well, put one together. So <laughs> at that time, I slicked my hair back and I had longer sideburns and I put a black leather coat on and turned the collar up and, and came and just had my guitar. And the reaction was, was really quite amazing. Uh, you know, the kids really responded very well to it. So I thought, well, this is something I could do as an educational experience that uh, a lot of kids, you know, who passed, Elvis passed away before they'll ever have the opportunity to experience his music or understand what it was like to see him in concert. Well, again, I'm a very poor reflection of that, I'm sure, compared to the real thing, but at least to give kids some idea of what the experience was like. And so I started developing that and I started getting booked in schools to come and do school assemblies. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, my act started evolving from there. So I moved from the black leather jacket to getting my first jumpsuit made and uh, then eventually getting scarves uh, made. I had a, a scarf maker and I graduated from playing guitar to you know, karaoke tracks so I could move around the <laughs> audience and then went from there to a live band and had bodyguards and, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. <laughs> so, you know, I, I turned it into uh, actually a, a fairly nice sideline for a while. Uh, I got some, some nice side gigs doing it for pay. Uh, sure. Warmed up Chubby Checker, did a show. If you remember Mitch Ryder wow. who sang uh, Jenny Take a Ride, did a show with him. Uh, did a did a show with Tommy Durden, one of the authors of Heartbreak Hotel, 
Wow. And, uh, I, yeah, the promoter, I got hired as a backup singer for a country Western review. I, it was his Christmas time. I was hired up for money. So I got hired <laughs> as a country Western singer. And uh, you know, Tommy Durden was one of the acts on the show. And the promoter had me sing Heartbreak Hotel over the phone for the one of the people that wrote the song. And uh, he liked uh, what I was doing well enough to uh, to bring me on and feature me in the show before he went on. So, so that was cool. So I did a lot of fun things like that. You're asking me what my favorite story was. <laughs> it had to be when I did the Chubby Checker show uh, because it was actually, believe it or not, I'm not making this up, it was in Hazard, Kentucky. And <laughs> it was at this big black gold festival about you know celebration of the coal industry and mm -hmm. thousands of people. But the stage was on the courthouse, uh, basically set up uh, in front of the courthouse. Mm -hmm. So prior to the show, I, I've got my, my Elvis jumpsuit on and my scarves and ready to go out. And I'm sitting, waiting to go out on stage in the office of this big Southern sheriff, Pearl S. Couch. And he had this <laughs> massive picture of himself, a portrait of himself behind his desk. It's just like, like you see on the Dukes of Hazard, right? Oh, and uh, Sheriff Couch and his deputies flanked me as I walked out on the stage, and that was the coolest thing, the Southern Sheriff and his deputies sort of flanking me as I came out and uh, giving me that cover, so to speak. So that was really cool. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. Did, did you have a chance to meet Chubby Checker then as well? You know, I, I was going to, and it's funny because, uh, you know, I was all set to meet him, but after his show, and, uh, you know, again, as a performer, you understand this, they had to pretty much carry him off the stage, uh, yeah. not, not because of any substances or anything, but because he was so exhausted right. after doing this energetic act. At the time, Chubby was not a young man, and uh, he was up there giving it his all for his hour-long set, and at the end of it, he was so exhausted that uh, you know they, they literally had to help him off stage. So, uh, unfortunately, was not able to meet him. Did meet Mitch Ryder. Mitch Ryder and I actually went to the same high school, which is kind of interesting, wow. uh, many, many years apart. And mm -hmm. uh, there were certain teachers that were coming in when he was a student that were going out when I was a student. So we swapped stories about these different teachers and what they were like, and, and that was fun. <laughs> cool, cool. So are there any, have you had any opportunities in your professional career uh, to pull Elvis into the mix? That's question number one. Well, and, and I, I number, number two, and number two, what what lessons might you draw from your from your days as an impersonator? So right before I joined JD Power, um, right before I joined JD Power, I was actually hired by the Las Vegas Sands to come and do a, a consulting gig, uh, a training session for all the staff, all the executive staff. Right. And I did it on the stage of the Ruta uh, Rudner uh, showroom that. Rita Rudner, Rita Rudner, sorry, can't say her name. Rita Rudner was doing her act. It was the Sand Showroom. And uh, after I did this, uh, the CEO brought out a guitar mm -hmm. and gave it to me. And uh, having, of course, speaking to a hospitality organization, I shared that uh, the song I'd be performing would be an example of what would happen if you did not follow the principles that I had just espoused. <laughs> and I sang Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> Great. So, I did Heartbreak Hotel and Blue Suede Shoes, and so I got to claim that I actually performed on the stage of a Vegas showroom on the Strip, and uh, I could say it with uh, authenticity. But, uh, you know, something that one of your previous guests said, I, I listened to one of your podcasts, 
and he said this, and I thought that this was, was straight on, is that one of the things that we're challenged as researchers is not to be boring, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to bring a little bit of excitement. And, uh, you know, again, it's not like I get up and I, I do Elvis at these uh, presentations, but, you know, Mojo Nixon once said that we all have a little Elvis in us, except for, he said, Michael J. Fox. Now, <laughs> I'd argue with that if you've seen Back to the Future, but we all have a little of that in us, right? We all have a little bit of showman. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, like Elvis used to say, uh, people used to ask him, uh, well, you know, why do you move around on stage? He goes, well, all I did was stand still. They could just listen to my records. And so if you don't bring a certain degree of, and I, I use this term, and, and you'll understand how I'm using it, certain element of entertainment value into the presentations you give, they could just read the report. Uh, sure. You know, you could just drop off a report, but unless you embellish it with stories and narratives and, and bring it to life for your customers, then, uh, you know, they're going to hear a guy up there, you know, reading numbers off a chart. And uh, nobody, nobody wants that. That's not what we get paid to do. We're, we're paid to bring these research findings to life for our, our customers. And so yeah. that's where I've always brought a little of that Elvis philosophy into the way I approach my client engagements. And again, there's nothing wrong with making something entertaining or interesting for the customer. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no sin in that. It's not like you're compromising the, the data quality, but when you can communicate well and bring that combination of right brain, left brain elements into your presentation, I think that's what people really want because they relate to it, they connect to it, they remember it. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I think that was the Steve August podcast you were referring mm -hmm. to, if, if yep. I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that's great. Um, I, I completely agree with you. Um, so let me switch gears a little bit. And I know we're in an interesting time in the market and for, for our industry. Any, any thoughts on what the future of insights looks like, either in hospitality or, or otherwise? Well, you know, one of the things that's a shame and uh, researchers who are listening to this podcast will certainly identify is that there's no time that people need our insights more than right now. Mm -hmm. Businesses are needing to pivot. People need to understand how do you get customers to re-engage. Uh, they need new thinking. Otherwise, they're just sort of lost uh, in this pandemic. And uh, there just doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. Now, if you look at, <coughs> excuse me, historically, some of the greatest innovations and some of the greatest success stories have come out of the most difficult times. So people need our insights. I think, and again, I'm not saying this because this is what I do. I, I truly mean this. I think people are turning too much to technology solutions away from practitioners like yourself and myself. And uh, technology solutions are, are great for capturing data. You know, that, that's wonderful. I, I have friends who work with a lot of very innovative, exciting platforms uh, as a means of capturing data. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself the question, what does it all mean? And that's where people like you and I come in to interpret that and synthesize that and integrate it. I've heard people make the statement that I'm drowning in data and yet I starve for information. And, uh, you know, big data right now can be overwhelming to people. And yet, you know, where I see our role is really coming down and distilling it down and, and making sense and, and connecting the dots between, between disparate data sources and creating that bigger picture narrative rather than what any individual study or data point tells us. 
And that's where, you know, people like you and I play a very useful role in, in this process. Yeah, I've, I've certainly seen over the years that that part is, is enduring, right? Uh, it doesn't get replaced because it hasn't been able to be replaced yet. So I think that that's, uh, uh, I totally agree with that view. Well, and where it gets a little concerning is that, you know, it's, people believe, well, if I buy one of these do-it-yourself platforms, I can, I can write a survey. Anybody can write a survey and ask questions. I can do all this myself. And, sure. you know, and, and again, as someone in the industry, I, I, I say this not because, you know, I'm, I'm in the industry, but because I truly believe it, that, you know, you're selling the, if you have that mindset, you're selling the expertise of a research professional short because we bring the experience and the insight and, and even the ability to interpret what numbers mean. So if you get a number that 50% uh, agree with a certain statement, is that a good number? Or is that a bad number? You've got right. to be able to have some context in which to place it. And I think that there are <coughs> many people that just simply don't know what they don't know. And that's where I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that people are turning to these technology solutions at the exclusion of research professionals. Like I say, great tools and uh, accompanied with consultative insights. It's a formidable combination, but just uh, want to make sure that people don't simply fall into that trap. Right, right. Okay, as this is a podcast, uh, curious to know uh, what other maybe podcasts or blogs or other media uh, that are meaningful to you or you would recommend or that you're, you're listening to or reading now? Well, even though I hate to give a plug to my old company, but I will. I listen to J.D. Powers podcasts, and I find right. them interesting only because they collect so much data. And so that's a podcast that I pretty consistently listen to. Also, I'm a member of a number of professional associations, the Travel and Tourism Research Association being one of them, uh, and also uh, the Incentive Research Foundation. And so I always, I think during this time, a pandemic where we're unable to travel, we're unable to go to conferences. People are inundated with webinars, podcasts, and you know, streaming opportunities that they can watch from the comfort of their own uh, office space. Right. Um, you know, and I think it's really a matter of trying to select which ones are most valuable and useful. So, sure, those are some that uh, that I listen to. I try to take advantage of as many as possible, but I think if all we did was uh, listen to podcasts all day, we'd probably not have time for anything else. My, uh, <laughs> There's uh, certainly uh, plenty of content out there. Correct. So anyway, and, and we do quite a bit uh, ourselves at Maggot that uh, I think are very interesting. Cool. Excellent. Uh, well, uh, brings us to our last question. I have to ask this, right? Um, tells us a little bit about you and who you are and what makes you tick. I'm guessing that Elvis might be on the list, but maybe I'm wrong. So the Desert Island Disc, the three, the three records that uh, will accompany <laughs> you for the end of time on that island, what are they? Oh, so I, I've got to pick three? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, it could take hours, tough. but you, you got to boil it down. Yeah, so I, I guess I'll go off the top of my head, you know, that the, one, of, one of the essential Elvis recordings, I'd obviously have to have the Beatles uh, probably the Beatles, 62 through 66, the Red Album, have to have that. And uh, let's see, what would my third one be? That's tough. I think my third one would be uh, something by Dion DiMucci, if you know who that is. He's a, 
a singer I that I have. <laughs> well, he said he's known for hits like "Run Around Sue." Oh, okay, the Water, there we go. There we go. Oh, Dion, sure, sure, yeah, Dion. Yeah. I actually had the opportunity to participate in a guitar jam in New York last uh, last fall, uh, where I was actually able to play guitar along with Dion and John Sebastian, who you might remember from the Love and Spoonful. He was there and uh, mm -hmm. several others, and it was kind of fun because the audience got to play along with these people on the stage. So those would be the albums. Uh, I think in terms of what makes me tick. Uh, so as you know, man, I, after many, many years of bachelorhood, I became a married man for the first time two and a half years ago. Indeed, so congratulations. Got, well, I tell you, it's worthy of congratulations. I don't know how I was ever <laughs> single for so long, uh, but I got a wonderful wife and a wonderful family who really inspire me and drive me on to uh, success. And, uh, you know, I think at the, the heart and the core of who I am, I'm really all about being an educator. I, I always wanted to be that teacher. And there are many ways to teach in, in you know, our professional lives. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I learned something from working for the Gallup organization that the late George Gallup Sr. was a notoriously bad businessman, but, you know, how he became so famous was that anywhere he went, he taught something that people didn't know. You know right. So every time I, I work with a client, I try to teach them something that they did not know prior to having interacted with me. So that really is what makes me tick. I love those aha moments. And again, maybe this is back to the entertainer in me, of loving to see that reaction when you come up with something insightful that, that makes people go, wow, I, I didn't know that. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, I hate, hate, hate being boring. I never want to be boring, man. I think we should all strive <laughs> I've, I've not never, to be boring. I've never caught you in that state. Well, and if you ever did, I, I would be really ashamed of myself. It would have been a down moment. <laughs> all right. Anyway, very, thank very you good. so much for this time. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I've done many, many podcasts. This is probably the one I've enjoyed the most. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Well, you're going to have to send me the video now. Uh, if you don't have the video, the audio, I, I need to hear the real thing. So, <laughs> oh, I, I, I've got a really good one I'll share with you at some point. So, all right, perfect. <laughs> uh, maybe I can link to it on the podcast. We'll see. So, anyway, well, thank you so much, Rick. Really appreciate it. Rock thank and you, roll. Sir. All right. Always a pleasure. Keep up the good work. All right. Thank you, my friend.